You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's episode, this is really a little bit of a fan moment for me. Our special guest is Susie DeMarkey, who is currently lead singer of Baby Animals, but also doing a lot of her own work and has had most recently some new releases that she's going to talk to us today. And firstly, welcome Susie. Thank you so much for having me. This is a whole new world for me. (laughs) It's great doing a, a podcast that has nothing to do with music. (laughs) really we do ask everyone just a little bit to describe their childhood you did grow up in Australia could you just describe whereabouts and and what your family was like yes my hometown is Perth in WA and I grew up in a new suburb it was a new you know back in the in the 60s it was is one of those suburbs that was close to the beach but pushing north of the northern sort of beach area in Perth and everything was brand new and a little house that my dad built and a beautiful childhood you know I had my parents who were amazing I had the best father in the world and mum was also an amazing mum I've got an older brother and two older sisters who are still around and my parents aren't sadly but I just had a kind of garden variety fun childhood where you knew all the kids in the street in those days you only you'd go out and your parents would say just come home when the street lights turn off I didn't live too far from the beach so there'd be a lot of we'd hitchhike in those days it'd be just either hitchhike down the beach or you'd walk the long you know two it was like three or four miles yeah very idyllic but we didn't have a lot of money or anything we just had a very simple kind of childhood which I'm very very fortunate to have had it's nice to look back on those on those memories and yeah it, it's amazing these days how we were just told to go out and you'd play for hours and come home and now you probably wouldn't do that I don't do that to my own children no no, no step out the front door and you're nervous you know it's terrible and how did music how were you sort of introduced to music was that something that your family was involved in or how did you find that my mother was a singer uh, an amazing singer actually she used to sing for the ABC in Sydney I have a bunch of her recordings uh, so she was the youngest of 10 and had was very shy but she was always pushed by her older brothers and sisters to sing she came from a very musical family they, they used to actually make instruments and then was brought up with a mother who sang around the house all the time and we all thought that everyone's mum did that but you know and my mum had an extraordinary voice so we just we always had music around my dad was tone deaf but he he was quite funny just in his attempts at, at singing and so I was brought up with my brother's record collection which was English rock and ABBA English 70s rock so full-on heavy metal kind of stuff Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow it was like 10 years after and then ABBA Yes. <laughs> so I had a bit of both. On Abba. <laughs> nice balance. Well, my mum's mum's stuff was just the classical kind of beautiful female singers like Diane Jervin and Edith Piaf. And so I had this nice broad sort of cross section of vocal styles. I feel like that actually played a lot 
in the development of how I learned to sing because I never really had lessons. I was always a guitar head. Okay. I mean, I was the kid that stood in front of the mirror banging my head with the tennis racket, with the hair flowing around. And Susie Quattro, I loved the girls. Like Susie was probably, you know, the biggest influence on me as a, a young girl. But the, the 70s guys in England were, they were the ones that I sort of formed my vocal style around because mm-hmm. I loved the way like that I liked the little bit of gravel or the that kind of heaviness that it just seemed to affect me more. Without singing lessons, how did you go on to then, you know, pursue this? Well, because my mum was a singer, I feel as if, and she was a very good singer, mm-hmm. you know, like extraordinarily good. So I feel as if I picked up a lot of my sort of just unknown training from her just by watching and by osmosis, really. When I was in living in England, I did have a few little vo- uh, vocal lessons with a, with a teacher there just for projection, but I didn't really, I don't think that really made much of a difference. I feel like, yeah, I listened to a lot of artists and the way that they sang. I learned pretty quickly that if you didn't use the right part of your throat and your mouth and your, your voice, that you were going to burn out really quick. Right. And so I, I just kind of knew that this that there was a certain p- part of like the top of your mouth and and then your breath that the breath how important that is so it was instinctive but I feel like a lot of it was from my mum. Yeah, and you did leave home quite young for these days, and you went to London. I did. I left actually left home at seventeen. I joined my first band at seventeen in Perth. Was in that band for a couple of years. And then I got a record deal with EMI in the UK because I was working with some guys in Perth that had previously been there for 20 years. They came back, they started a little label. So I started working with them. And through them, I got this million pound deal with EMI in the UK. So I I moved to London, I was 20, I think. And how was that? Because really, in those days, like I just remember growing up, everyone was going to London to get their deals. You know, that was kind of how is that characteristic of how it was done back then yeah I think also you know in those days it was the whole pop thing the Mm. 80s pop thing has Mm. a sound (laughs) it was the 80s pop life at that time it was Stock Aitken Waterman they wanted me to do the whole Kylie thing you know that Mm. real pop thing and I gave it a try it was just that my my first love was guitar based music but I was there for four years and I had the most fun of my life it really was so much fun. And what did you um, learn that you've taken from that time? I mean, I learned that it's not really going to happen unless you make it happen. You can mm. have the best record deal with the best label and good people, but if you don't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. So until I made the change, I spent four years there and I did a lot of partying and not a lot of work. I mean, I put three singles out. And then I met John Woodruff, who went on to be my manager. And when I met him, It was kind of like the kick up the butt that I needed. Yeah, that's the biggest lesson I learned. I wasted a lot of time thinking it was just going to happen and come to me and, yeah. But as you would at 20 with a record deal thinking (laughs) it's all going to, it's going to be great. But it really, that was, that was it. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to want it yourself. Mm, But I don't, I think a lot of 20 year olds think it's, you know, all going to happen. I'm sure I'm guilty of that too. (laughs) We all do it. I'm going to sit in my room all day and this is going to come to me. Mm. And so then you come back to Australia. I came back because I got, I started 
working with John Woodruff, basically he offered me some management and he got me a little publishing advance of about 10 grand. It was going to help me, you know, pay for me to come back to Australia. And then, yeah, I came back and put the band together. How do you do that? Can you walk me through how you put baby animals together? Well, I knew the, the rhythm section, Frank Salenza and Eddie Parisi. I had, I'd worked with Frank before. He was a drummer in this little cover band that I was in. At one point, I'd come back from London for a, a break, got this little band together because we all just wanted to play all the time. So <laughs> wherever we were, we'd put a little band together and do some shows. So I knew Frank and he was an incredible drummer. And through him, I met his friend Eddie, who was in Frank's eyes a great bass player and turned out to be really great and they they had worked together a lot so found him and then got you know some auditions going for guitar players and you know went through a lot of a lot of people and found Dave Dave came in and he was in a cold chisel cover band at the time and I just remember saying you need to you need to grow your hair and stop sounding like Ian Moss and basically it was like once the four of us were together we just played every day. We worked, like, rehearsed all day, mm. did gigs whenever we could at night and did that for a long time or a good year and a half. And, yeah, and through them, through that sort of time, we'd amassed these songs, demoed them, and then we got a deal. And and they became such um, massive hits. And I, and I have been enjoying um, the lead up to this interview with you because all I've been listening to is your music and ironically on the way to work I've been coming to work very early in the mornings and that first kind of lyric with one word oh I wake up feeling the same way every day you know there was a time during COVID <laughs> oh, okay. it, it just resonated so heavily yes that was one of the songs that I re- wrote when I was still living in London that song really works for COVID actually because it's I did feel a bit that way the same way that I felt when I was waiting for something to happen you know I was in London and yeah feeling the same way <laughs> and Susie can I just ask when you're writing songs are you an artist where things tend to flow or is it is it like a stop start process how does it work for uh, you it's both sometimes you write something and it's takes three minutes from beginning to end and you're done you've got the melody and you've got the lyrics and you just write 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 and other times you'll have an idea I I use voice memo a lot you know Mm -hmm. where if if I've got a melody or a a lyric idea I'll just record that really quick and then maybe you know work on it later so it is a bit of a bit of both but the good ones are the ones that come beginning to end three minutes you're done you don't really change it much that's rare do you put side of time for this creativity or is it just as it comes? Just as it comes, but you do mm-hmm. have to do the the office hours as well. Like you really have mm-hmm. to make time and be specific about it. And, you know, and during COVID it's been because I'm, I've been on my own really. My kids have come and gone here and there. And other than my cat, it's just been me. So I've done like my Dave, my guitar plays in Melbourne. I did a, a, a record with, Darren Middleton from Powderfinger during the first lockdown. So he was in Melbourne. So it was a lot of back and forth stuff. Gosh. I've never, you know, normally it's you're all in a room together and you bash through stuff and it's it's great. It's what I love. But not this, this is a whole new, had to learn a whole new way, you know. So is that like doing a record over Zoom literally? Yeah. So basically we both had 
you know, like you use the Pro Tools setup. You only need a microphone and some headphones. And I had to learn how to engineer. So I learned a new skill, which was great. Mm-hmm. I'm a bad engineer, but, you know, I know how to operate it enough to get a vocal down. And then you just send, send stuff back and forth. And luckily, you know, I was working with someone like Darren who could also engineer. He could mix stuff and add all the other musical parts. It was it was interesting. It was interesting. It's not my. It wouldn't be my first option of how to record something. But I, I was going to say. And when you were having that an amazing time, you know, at the height of of Baby Animals in 1992, and and touring, and I think you know you were everywhere. What was that like as as the lead singer for you? Can you describe? I mean, well, it was a great time, but it was such a fast, quick busy time you really had to stop yourself a lot of the time just to 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 remind yourself that this isn't normal and it's not going to be around forever and so make the most of it and don't waste it and and enjoy it but it was a lot of touring so we toured pretty constantly for I think there was a two-year period where we didn't have even a weekend so but it was very exhausting and and Mm. but exhilarating at the same time because you do you know, shows every night, you're in the bus, you have to get up, you have to do press and you've got to do, get, get ready for the show, then you do a show, then you get back on the bus and you've got to drive to the next town and then you've got to fly to another country and you, there's no rest. Everyone says it's really glamorous but it, it's far from that, right? But when you're successful with something like that, there's no rest. you just got to go for it while you can. So mm. it goes really quick. I remember we were the, the, we were nominated for some arias and and we couldn't go to that the show we were in Canada we had to do like a satellite thing but it, those are the things like you really kind of want to go to those yes those are, you know we did we, we did we missed all of that stuff we just worked <laughs> and, and by the end of that time and again it's just a curiosity question but are you so familiar with each other that you're kind of sick of each other do you need a break as a band yeah I mean for sure <laughs> it's like you you're you are together forever like you are in that bus you know all their smells, you know where they're going to leave their dirty socks. I mean, it's, you know, everything, you know, everything about their family, you know. Mm. You really, it's kind of like, a, it is like a family. And when you have blow-ups, they're big. And, and then, the, you know, when you have good times, they're really great. So, yeah, it was, mm. you do know everything about everyone. <laughs> And then you headed overseas again to the US. What sort of prompted that decision? Well, I got married and my husband, who's now my ex-husband, grew up in Boston. He was born in Portugal, but he grew up in Boston. And we both decided that, you know, we needed to to figure out where we were going to live. And so for him and his work, it was probably better to be there. He had family there. So we just decided to be there which is kind of why I took a break from, I mean, I did a couple of solo records while I was there, but yeah, it was very hard to keep the band going from mm. another country. I wanted to be a mom and enjoy that as well. I didn't like the idea of touring with children. I just thought it was too much. I mm. knew what it was like on the road without kids. I just, <laughs> I just couldn't imagine <laughs> it working with children. So but that was basically the reason why I decided to go, you know, to and, base myself there. And whilst you were there, you are, you completed quite a few builds yourself. Can you just describe a I few of a, those? I did one big build. It was mm. this five and a half thousand square foot house mm. on the ocean 
in uh, New England in, in a little town called Magnolia, Massachusetts. And we did everything wrong. We got, you know, family to build it. We got, we just made all the wrong, all the wrong decisions. We had, <laughs> didn't have a contract with anyone. You know, they said it would take a year. It took three. But it was incredible. But, yeah, it was a three-year project. So that was great. I loved it. I actually mm. really loved it. But um, it was a long process. Mm. Now, one of your records that we were talking about before we started was Home. What prompted that sort of recording? And, and could you just describe what that means to you, Home? So I have a, a home tattoo on my oh. <laughs> But I was living away for so long. I was away for 16 years. And I missed Australia every day. When I came back, I was so grateful to be back in Australia because I came back and after I moved back, my marriage ended and so it's kind of here I was back in Sydney, loving being back but kind of heartbroken at the same time going through this really, really massive change in my life, upheaval. I felt the only way to kind of get through that was just to go in and, and start working. So I made another record, the third Baby Animals record. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really, really tough time. But I'm still here. <laughs> we all are for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Susie, what were the aspects of Australia that you missed the most? I, I kiss the ground when I come back, especially when I get to Perth, you know. Mm. It's, the, it's the light. It's the smell of, you know, but every time I get back to Australia, I can smell it in the air, that eucalypt smell, that kind of dry, I don't know. It just the, I love the Australian humour and our irreverence and it's a beautiful country. Um, there's so much so much much of it that we can't live in or we can't really, you know, use. But mm. it's just an incredible place. You can snot, you can ski here. You can, you know, you can do everything that you could do anywhere else in the world. You know, you've just got all those options. It's just, it's just home. I made that record because I, I was so grateful to be back. Yeah. And you've obviously performed in a lot of venues all across the world and obviously here in Australia. What how does an, a venue impact your ability to perform or not? It's everything. It makes a massive difference. First of all, the way a room sounds is really important because you can play in, like, and we've done a lot of dodgy RSLs and rooms that they're built like a bathroom, so they're going to sound like a bathroom. So mm -hmm. already you're, you're, you're starting from behind the curve. But there are beautiful theatres like the State Theatre in Sydney that is just a dream to play in, or the Tivoli in, in Brisbane. There are there are special rooms in Australia that really make, it's usually the old theatres. Mm. It definitely, you know, they're built for that kind of thing. But it does, it makes a massive difference for sure. And was there a moment where, when you were performing outside and around the world where you were in a venue and you just were pinching yourself a little bit? Yeah, I mean... We played at Wembley Arena with Brian Adams. We, we, we were opening for him. We played at all these great venues around Europe with him. Yeah, I pinched myself all the time. We were in Mexico City with Van Halen playing. With a lot of those were stadiums, but we, you know, played in some rooms that 
gosh, I just off the top of my head, I'm just trying to think what. No, that's okay. One to pull out that were really, really special. So many of them. There was, I mean, we were really lucky to tour with some of those artists that were mm. you know, that were so successful. When you're in the stadiums, what? How is that dynamic? You know, different as to oppose a state theatre. I mean, obviously, you know, there's thing, there's an intimacy thing, but I just wondered. Yeah. Yeah, how could you just... That's the main difference. The main mm. difference is that you have to just project a lot more when you're doing a, a stadium or a, a large arena. You just have to really kind of project and push. But And you also find when you're on stage, you have to kind of, as a band, you, you have to be very much aware and, and try and tighten things up just within the band because you're never going to be able to reach, you know, the vastness of some of those crowds as you would in a little pub or something where yeah. you can actually touch them yeah so you you know just make some of those changes and you, if you, you come in together closer as a band and then you can project further when you're in a pub you're just falling all over each other and it's fine right <laughs> they're, the, they're the good ones pubs are the best how do you deal with ceilings because some pubs are, are hmm I remember doing a show once in Brisbane. At, I think it was called the Piggery or something like that. I I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it had a really low ceiling. And it was those days. I don't. I don't even think they had the air conditioning on, and the sweat was dripping. Oh yes, yeah. it was so, and it was so close. And I remember laying. I think I nearly passed out that show. I remember laying on the stage, just going, you know, there was no air. <laughs> They can't do that anymore. You can't smoke. You can't. No, it's, it's true. A different. It's true. I was watching some. I was watching something recently. I think it was actually British pop in the eighties, and they were saying just how you know half the venues they would never be allowed to be opened, and in one of oh. them, I think some of the actual ceilings were falling down, and they were like, it was just yeah. yeah, everyone was just flying by the seat of their pants. I don't know how we got through a lot of those, the the smoke-filled rooms. I don't know how we got through a lot of those shows, but we were young. Mm. We could do anything. We are invincible. <laughs> I mean, look, COVID's been really hard on live entertainment. What would you prefer to be doing at the moment in terms of performing? Meaning as, as if I had an option? Yeah, what would be your ideal space? I mean, an ideal. I I love doing theatres. I like a small, like a small two, three thousand people theatre. Mm. An old room is probably. I mean, the feeling of a room is is got a lot to do with how, you know, you play, how you perform, because you walk into a theatre and it's just you just feel like you should. This is what what you should be doing. You've got to perform there. I actually love doing festival runs too. Mm-hmm. Like, where you do the wineries and stuff like that. They're outdoor though. So, mm. but you know, the theatres are definitely my favourite for sure. The Tivoli and in particular in Brisbane is one of the most beautiful. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. You know, there's something in a room that has, well, obviously, a brick, double brick and insulated is always better, you know, <laughs> for sound, sound wise. So, a lot of those theatres are, are heavily, I don't know if they're all brick, but they're all mm. heavily insulated and they're all heavily like, you know, fabric everywhere and stuff that's going to suck up the noise a bit. So, yeah, they're dead in the room a bit. But, I mean, 
you know, I'm from a place in Perth. My dad built a house. It was a double brick house. It was it was just a real standard little, you know, two by three kind of place that they added onto over the years. And a funny thing I remember about when my ex-husband actually first came to Perth to visit my family, he couldn't believe because he was from the east coast in 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 America. Couldn't believe that nobody had heating or air conditioning or anything in the house it was all just the double brick especially in Perth it's all double yes, brick yes there was no air conditioning none of that and we were fine with it we never really need we opened a window if, we, if it got too hot or something mm. there. but it's a very Australian thing I think the double brick building it is I don't yes. know it, more than it is in in where other parts of the world that I've lived it's it's a really seems to be a bit more of an Australian thing for us especially like you know Perth where has some so incredible brick buildings like the Ivan Ivanov stuff that mm. I used to you know go hang with a girlfriend in Florida next to that house I can't remember what it was called one of his places that used to blow my mind I mean there's yep. some incredible buildings in Perth it's amazing every time we put up one of his inspos everyone just goes crazy for it I mean in a good way yeah. and I don't think there's it, a Perth architect that wasn't inspired by him well, yeah, but at the time, nobody really, everyone thought it was just out, you know, a, oh, a crazy house, you know. We'd walk past it every day on our, like, when I'd hang at my girlfriend's place, we'd be on our way to the beach, we'd walk past it, think, the spaceship house or, you know, it was pretty out there at that time, but incredible. There's a lot of them in Perth, actually, a lot of his stuff. Yes, yeah. And you've been really when we were talking earlier as well you're you're very passionate about housing and I know you've participated in some projects Habitat for Humanity what what do you see I guess is how we can change sort of some of the things in society with housing I think I'm really into building smaller I feel like the way forward and for affordability for people young people coming through that's going to be the only way is to build smaller, to build smarter, to have rooms that function, that have more than one function. I'm going to do that. And my next move is I'm going to build a, a smaller house, a small home that's just going to be self-sustained sort of, well, I'm going to try. Uh, I'm just looking for the right block. But mm-hmm. I just feel like you know, there's no need for big, massive houses that just chew up energy and I'd love the idea of little, little, you know, suburbs and, and little village, the village kind of atmosphere where you can build your own place, preferably not a cookie cutter, but something that's a bit different than, than your neighbour. But there has to be, there has to be a change in mm. the size of the homes that people are building. It's just unnecessary. Mm. Yeah. I think as well, you're, you're right around just how much these homes cost to function. And I think that's the other thing that people lose sight of and how efficient is a home over, t- over its life, you know? Oh, for sure. What the, what the materials are that you're using. You don't need to spend a fortune on a home. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to, the next place I do, I'm really, I'm going to try and build a beautiful home, which I've already got the design in my head for what, exactly what it's going to be, you know, maybe out of brick something that is really super simple and but still beautiful for under 250 okay it's just gonna be it that's it I don't want to spend any more than that I feel like I can do that I could probably do it for less than that 
we're like, we're going to follow you. <laughs> I want you and, guys to come and film me doing it so that we can show everybody else you can actually do it. And a lot of people already know. I mean, there are, I think that there are a lot of changes. People seem to, you know, the whole tiny house movement. I mean, I'm not talking a tiny house. That's a bit extreme. Mm. But there is a movement that that people need to have an affordable place to live. We don't need the next generation coming up that just had massive mortgages and, you know, that, all of that stuff needs to be looked at to yep. make it um, more more viable. I know sure. I know a lot of our architects that listen to this would, would be totally agreeing with you and, and I know a lot of them are, are on the same wavelength as what you're saying. Just I know we weren't going to talk about music much, but just during COVID and what's happened to the industry, can you describe what you what we could do to help entertainers like yourself now? Buy tickets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they start coming up again, which they will. I mean, we've got stuff booked in for beginning in in end of January in 2022. So we have a whole first six months of the year booked we'll be finishing off the second half of the tour that we were on when COVID hit that that just stopped everything I feel like we just need to buy tickets to to get to get out I know people are going to be some people will be a little hesitant even though restrictions are are, have been eased a little bit I, I still feel like people are going to be a little bit wary but you've got to we've all got to move on and live our lives and I think like music is such an incredible healing medium that brings people together that makes you feel good and we all need a bit of feel good and Mm. we need to be together again and we need to throw our arms in the air and sing out and enjoy that kind of atmosphere and and I feel like that's probably the best thing that you can do is to to buy a ticket for whatever it is and go along and bring everyone else with you. And, you know, as much as I was I was saying to you before we started, but I've loved your radio on Spotify and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that because it's got all my favourites, including some of your, yeah. Oh, it's got James Rain, Wendy Matthews, The Bad Loves, Powderfinger, Screaming Jets, Black Sorrows, like everything, plus all of your music as well. But, you know, we have missed that. There's nothing that I think replaces live music and we've probably all been listening to things through headphones or on screens and it will be so much better to get back into that live environment we're going to be it's going to be very emotional I, mm. I know the shows that we do back with the red hot summer tour that's coming up it'll be an emotional day I know mm. that everyone been doing it tough especially you know our industry it's been hard I've noticed a lot of people actually started have done like started painting and doing a lot of that kind of creative work but not me I'm not that good as a painter but (laughs) yeah I'm excited to tour again no I think and I mean it must be yeah I don't know what it would be like for artists which which get a lot of their validation from performing I mean it is a two-way conversation yeah it's funny it's it's the industry I always thought that you know, I'm a musician. I could busk on the street if I wanted to. Or I could do little, always do mm. little pub gigs. I'll always be able to play. I'll always, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll always be able to make a buck on the corner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> always the one. But that was this just sidelined us. Like 
you would never ever think that this could happen so yeah it's made us all reassess and yeah moving forward I feel as if obviously vaccination is going to play a big part in um, being able to do shows yeah so and I think it's true you know yeah and I think Tina Arena spoke up and said you know everyone always replies on artists or relies on artists when things go wrong to come together and help and I, I do I do think Australia is behind getting back to some live entertainment and oh, yeah. I think, we, you know, you can just see by the vaccination rates, particularly in New South Wales, that people want to get back to normal and they want to do their part. So the last question is, who's the next person we need to, to interview, Susie? Who's the next person? James Rain? Oh, yes. Get James Rain to do it? Jimmy Barnes would be good. Yes, yeah. He's do, he, he's been doing a lot actually just for the industry I think from what he he's has. doing he's very good with that stuff mm. yeah he's very yeah he's proactive but he's good with build, like he's 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 been through a few houses too yes yeah. it's true it's true Susie just mm. it's really been a thrill for me we're going to end with some rapid fire questions reading the news a newspaper or online online handwriting or typing handwriting do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Read books. When you were creating your songs, you mentioned you used voice um, memo. Do you write as well or as I in? I write as well. Right, Definitely. Okay. I, everything is written or I have many, many notebooks. Write everything. Yes. <laughs> What's important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee or tea? Tea. TV shows or movies? Ooh, both. With regards to design, antique or brand new, modern? Oh, I mean a mixture. It's hard, yeah, a mixture. Call or text? Text. (laughs) Travel back in time or into the future? Oh, definitely the future. <laughs> exterior or interior? Interior. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Oh, that's tough. Form, probably. Complex or simple with relation to design? Simple. <laughs> that is it. Thank you, Susie. Again, I just, I can't wait to meet you in person and I'm absolutely grateful for what you've done today with us. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, There's a link in our show notes to let us know.